This is Deeper Than Work, a podcast that specializes in real career talk for real career women. Join your host, Dorianne St. Fleur, as she shares practical and actionable strategies guaranteed to help you become the corporate powerhouse you're meant to be. This is episode 57 of the Deeper Than Work podcast. And in this episode, I am sitting down with Minda Hartz. Minda is the founder and CEO of The Memo LLC. She's a sought after speaker and thought leader, and she's the best selling author of The Memo What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. If you are wondering, how do I prepare myself for my next level? How do I not only secure a seat at the table, but make sure that my voice is heard once I'm there? Then this episode is for you. All right. I am so excited for today's guest. We have Minda Hartz, author of The Memo, here with us today. Minda, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. So glad to be here. Thank you. You're so welcome. Now, before we get started, we have a lot to cover today. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about you and about your career journey? Yeah, again, thank you for having me. So I spent 15 years in um, corporate and nonprofit roles as a fundraising consultant. And so uh, what that means kind of in layman's terms is I helped universities and colleges and nonprofits raise money for their endowments, scholarships, and uh, helping put people's names on buildings (laughs) at at different universities. And so I was always the only one in the room. And, um, and then in 2015, I started my own company, the memo LLC, uh, to help women of color prepare for their seat at the table. Because one of the things I realized when I had my seat, I wasn't prepared. I was kind of there and grateful and not really using it the way that I probably should have initially And sometimes we need certain tools in our toolkit, as you already know, uh, from the work that you do. And that's what kind of spun me into becoming an entrepreneur. And I teach part-time at NYU Wagner. Awesome. So you mentioned, you know, being prepared for the seat at the table. And of course, we're going to dive into what that preparation looks like. But first, let's even start from the beginning. What does it even mean to have your seat at the table? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, it's funny because we talk a lot about the fixtures, right? (laughs) But I look at um, the table and the chairs really as ownership, as legacy building. And it's not enough to just get your seat at the table, but what are you doing once you sit down? And sitting down requires us to activate our voice, activate our courage, and make sure that we're setting it up, that we bring others with us, but also that we're pushing the agendas that are beneficial to women that look like, look like us. So it's not just, I think many of us have been in a position where we're just happy to be in the room. We were the first one. We're like, Mm -hmm. we don't want to mess this up. Right. But now that you're there, what are you going to do about it? And I think there's a difference between having a seat and securing your seat. Mm, mm. And so let's dive into to that difference, because I think you're so right in that a lot of the women that I speak to, you know, there's this euphemism of let me get my seat at the table. I want this seat at the table. And when we dig into it, 
one, there's not necessarily a clear definition of what that means for them. Because I know broadly, the seat at the table, get into leadership positions, have influence, et cetera. But depending on your industry, on your company, on your own career goals, my seat at the table may look different from your seat at the table. So how does one really begin to understand what that means for them and how do they get on that road to securing that seat? Yeah, you, you made such a great point because I think first we have to understand why we're there. Right? So, so somebody might listening might be like, you know what, it's all about me. That's why I'm here. That's what I'm getting it. And you have that right. Um, and for others who don't want to be the, the first one, the last one, the only one, it's what you do with that seat that matters. And so oftentimes, especially as women of color, we might question why we even were given the seat, mm -hmm. right? And so um, for whatever reasons, and I, and I often like to remind ourselves that we've worked really hard to get to this seat and it doesn't matter what reason someone gave it to you. Now that you're in it, what are you going to do with it? Right? Mm -hmm. and so, um, so does that mean when, you know, microaggressions are happening or someone saying something um, that's not true about a certain population that you resonate with or identify as, you know, you are that voice, you know, that voice wasn't there before you got there. And there's a certain responsibility that I think definitely as women of color, black women, that when you sit down, that obviously you can't hold the whole race on your shoulders, but what are those, what are your values, right? And rem reminding what the, reminding yourself what those are and not to shrink once you get in the room because the real work starts when you sit down, right? You have that table. So how are you going to use it? How are you going to use that seat? Are you going to create more seats for other people? Are you going to, you know, um, mentor people? You know, my main thing is once you secure that seat, even when you leave it, are you setting it up for someone that looks like you to take it when you leave it? You know, so I think it's really important for us to understand what do we want out of the seat? What do we want to do with it? And how does it help the next generation of women of color? Yeah. Yeah. And so you talked about your own journey and you having your seat at the table and not feeling like you were prepared for it. Talk us through some of that. What did that look like? And how would you, if you could do it all over again, how would you have been better prepared for that moment? Yeah. You know, it's funny because so my whole career, I was like, oh, I want to be at the table, right? You know, I want to get the leadership role. And I think sometimes we don't realize what comes with that role. Right? And so for me, one of the things that I, I wanted the role, I wanted the position, the seat so bad, but I was nervous to speak in public. Um, I was like deathly afraid of it. And, and one of the things I noticed that the people who were at the table, um, when I have an opportunity to be in the room at times, I'd see they were very clear on what they were stating, what they were talking about. They spoke with, you know, ownership and they owned the room and they were able to get buy-in from the people who may not necessarily you know, seeing things from their viewpoint. And I realized, wow, there's something to having your seat and having influence. And one of the things that I had to really assess is like, okay, Minda, you have all these really great skills, but there's certain things that you're going to have to invest in to make sure that when you get in that room, um, you're ready, more prepared than you would be, right? Not just getting in there and not feeling or questioning yourself mm -hmm. uh, because those things will come, right? But if the things that you can control you control. And so even before I got in the room, I invested in public speaking classes. Um, and I never thought that I would become a public speaker and get paid for it. I just knew that 10 years ago, this was a skill that I saw other people really tapping into. And if I'm going to use my voice and use my seat, then I can't be timid and I can't be scared. 
when it matters, right? And so I think those are the things that I, I learned early on that you don't just get in the room and sit down and take up space, um, but how can you be an influence? And I have to, and for me, my voice was, was needed in that room. And so I couldn't shy away from that if that's what I said I wanted. That was my why, right? To make it better than I found it. Right. And so it was painful. It was painful along the way, <laughs> but I, I'm so glad I made that investment. Yeah. It's so funny that you talk about investing in yourself. It's something that I am a firm believer in and I've invested a lot of money in myself, a lot of time in myself, a lot of energy in my development and my growth. What I've noticed, however, is talking to, you know, some some women and some people along my path is that it's not always, that's not always something that we're taught that we should, we should be the ones investing in ourselves. Maybe we know that maybe our company should spend time on us on our growth and maybe someone else should put that time in for us. And maybe we should invest in other ways. But when it comes to my career, my professional development, me actually going out and finding that public speaking course you talked about or a career coach or something that's going to help me boost my leadership skills. It's not necessarily something that we're thinking about as, you know, women who are climbing the corporate ladder. How did you get to a point where you're like, not only am I going to look out for opportunities to improve my skills, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm actually going to invest the time, energy, effort, money to help myself improve upon this skill. How, why was that something that you even knew to do? You know, it's funny. I I actually thank God for this because even as a a young girl, I was always very much like when I get money, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this for myself, right? I'm going (laughs) to buy this book. I'm going to. So it was something that I feel was always part of kind of my DNA. Like I I was always just that person to invest in myself at a young age. Even I think about it, it's like, oh, I did get an extra money. Let me get this scholastic book, right? You know, I was just that kind of person. And then when I got into um, the, you know, real world corporate America (laughs) or nonprofit world, I realized that I can't leave it up to people who aren't thinking about me and my career to invest in me. (laughs) Right. So Mm -hmm. if I say that I want this next role, but I know that I need, you know, I'm kind of rusty in some of these skill sets, then I'm not going to wait for my manager to invest in me. And that's time lost. Right. And, you know, so for me, I was really, I always, bet on myself because if no one saw the potential yet, I saw what was there. And so at times we have to be our coach and our cheerleader. right? And so, um, and eventually, you know, I did find people in the workplace who provided professional development stipends and things like that. But before I knew I could tap into those things, I was like, just like you said, I got to take my career by the reins because at the end of the day, I can't blame anybody for my career, but me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And some of, I mean, obviously outside of systemic issues, but, you know, I can't blame Bob because I was scared to, to give a presentation, right? <laughs> you know, I have to own that for myself, right? So Yeah, yeah, that, that's so good. So let's switch gears a little bit. So as I, you know, I, I first found out about you and the Memo LLC and the work that you do, uh, maybe at this point, maybe about five years ago. And around that time, there was also another body of work around Lean In that was something that was really prevalent at that time as well. And one of the things that I love about your perspective and, and what you bring to the table is while you... you you know, lean in, that was important for the the professional development, et cetera. There was a, a voice or a perspective that was missing from that. And I feel like, you know, 
you've said and, and what I've gotten is that uh, your book, The Memo, is kind of filling that void. So it's the lean in for, for people, for women of color is what I've seen uh, go around the internet, as well, et cetera. How did you, like, tell us about that journey, just understanding that we needed to have a book that spoke to us about what it's like to be a woman of color in this corporate world and, and, and the skills that we need and, and seeing that there was a void. How did you say, I'm going to be the one to fill this void and tell this story? <laughs> Yeah. um, So I was telling myself that I was going to tell this story, but I didn't know how it was all going to come together. You know, and sometimes that's like the beauty of of walking out the journey is not really knowing the end, right? But knowing you have to do something. And so for me, when I started out, when I started the memo LLC, I didn't necessarily think that I would be a voice like leading a conversation or part of a conversation. I just wanted to make the workplace better than I found it, and I always found found myself so isolated inside the workplace and, and always questioning, wait, did they say this? Did this happen? And I just felt so drained. And I just wanted to be able to carve out a space where I could talk about that with community and offer some perspective and just remind people, especially Black women, women of color, that they've worked too hard to lean out now, right? Mm -hmm. If that's what they choose. And so for me, I just wanted to be a voice saying, here's an alternative. And I appreciate Lean In because it did, um, you know, talk about a lot of the inadequacies um, that women face inside the workplace. But I saw that there was a a missing, there was a puzzle piece that wasn't quite complete. Right? Mm-hmm. And I, said, I think that I might have a perspective to this. And I always thought to myself, if I could write a book, I want to write the Lean In for women of color. Now, I thought about that way back in 2014, 2015, but it didn't manifest until later. But I have to share with you and the community that even in my traditional work setting, I was that type of thinker. Like if people, if my manager or certain people weren't going to give me an opportunity, I would look around and see where the gap was, right? And provide a solution uh, for it. And that's how I really got my seats at the table because Mm -hmm. I was able to kind of look at what was going on and that was me. I was like, wow, this is really great conversation, but you know what's missing? There's a gap here. And so um, it took a while because even when I started the company, I don't know if you remember, but there was Levo League and, you know, yeah. all other places. And when I started the memo, people were like, why, why is the memo even necessary? You got, you know, Levo League, you have all these other places. And I'm like, yeah, but they're not really talking about the experiences of women of color. And, and I was getting so much pushback from, well, women experience, all women experience. And I said, you know, okay, that's fine. But so I just kept plugging away. And then eventually um, more people started to hear about it and, and resonate with it. And, I, and I'm just so happy. I call the memo, not my book, but our book. Again, I couldn't cover everyone's experiences, but I think there's some similar themes. And I'm excited about the future of work as it pertains to women of color, knowing that we're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about, which I think is so powerful. You talk about the fact that while yes, you, you have this platform, you've written this book and it's manifested itself, you know, a few years ago that even before then in your work, you were that voice. Now, because I know what I know in my own career and in the women that I coach, I know that even though you're Minda Hearts, you're this author and all of these things, there are still areas and days, maybe moments where you don't necessarily feel 
100% confident or you may feel like, eh, should I really say this? Should I not say this? How do you yeah. push through that and still get your voice out there when it, whether it was in the work setting, whether it's even now with your book and in, in your business, how do you push through that lack of confidence, imposter syndrome, however you want to frame it um, right now? Yeah, I still... I still, you know, I wrote about it in the memo and there's times and there's one, I think it was um, an empire state of mind that I say, sometimes I look in the mirror and I still see the little girl going to pay for food with food stamps. You know, I still see that sometimes and I still question, you know, do I belong in this room? Unfortunately, I I wish that I could tell you that I don't get that sometimes, Um, but I do. But what helps me overcome that and lean into an empire state of mind is knowing that I have to lead with courage and that there were so many people that came before us, um, you know, our elders or ancestors that had to lean into their courage to make things better so that we could be beneficiaries of their courage. And that's what keeps me going, knowing that um, I need to say this, I need to do this because it's not just for me, it's bigger than me. And I would encourage each of us that even on those days where you're feeling the Harlem shakes, right? You got to shake through that thing because it's, it's for it's not just for you, but it's the one coming back. And I often say, you know, we have to lead with courage and push aside our caution because nobody benefits when we're cautious. Mm, nobody benefits when we're cautious. Exactly. This this whole movement. Imagine if you never took the public speaking course, if you never stood up for your point of view and your perspective. This whole movement with the memo and the future of work for women of color, it just it wouldn't be here. <laughs> No, we would not be talking because there were times I have to be honest where I was like, oh, and I get kind of, you know, blatant in the memo with certain pieces. I'm like, oh, should I be saying this? Should I be doing this? And I'm like, well, if I have the opportunity to crack this door open, (laughs) then I got to take it and I got to say it because I think we've suffered in silence uh, long enough. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I've noticed about your work is that you infuse music um, into what you do, even listening to the, the chapter titles and things like that. How has music helped you in your journey to get to where you are and to succeed in your career? Yeah, uh, music is, it's therapy. It's really before I had a therapist, it was music, right? So it was moments where you feel like running out of the office and crying, or you go back to your seat and you put on, you know, I'm a survivor, you know, like just that. <laughs> you know? And I know not everybody, you know, enjoys pop culture in that way, but it was just those small pieces of joy that you find throughout the day to help you like keep to get to five, right? To get uh-huh. to six. And, um, and that was the, the songs that I used. Those were the playlists, the songs to my career, my sanity. And I just had to like, you know, give uh, honor where honor was due because I don't know if I would have made it through some of those days without some prayer and some some lyric, right? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So if there is a woman right now who's listening and she's like, you know, this sounds amazing. I've read the book. I've been keeping up with these podcast episodes, et cetera. But I still like, I, I still don't know if I can do this. Corporate America or tech or the nonprofit, whatever they, wherever they are, it's just too tough for me. What are three pieces of advice um, or one to three? Let's not <laughs> block you in. One to three pieces of advice you'd give them to kind of break through and start to advance in their career. Yeah. Um, well, first off, one of my favorite quotes is by Audrey Lord, and she said, "Beware of feeling like you're not good enough to deserve it." 
And I think because many of us are in these situations where we're not given the promotion or we're overlooked or whatever have you, fill in the blank, we start to question if we could hack it, if this is right for us. And if if that is your goal, if that is your desire, be beware of feeling like you're not good enough to deserve it because you've worked really hard. And so the next thing is, what is your why, right? Why do you want what you want? And I think sometimes we haven't given ourselves the opportunity to redefine success by our own terms. And some of you listening may decide, you know what, I don't want seat at the table, but I still have, I want influence. And so strategize in the ways in which you could still have influence, but maybe you don't want that seat, but you still, but we still need your voice, right? So how are you going to be courageous in the things that matter to you in your office, in your cube, or now in your home? And so um, lastly, um, give yourself that space and grace to make change, right? Right now, um, so many companies are now going remote. So you get an opportunity to redefine success by your own terms, not by what your mom said or your dad said or your grandma said. But if you want to jump off the roof today and transition careers, this is the prime time to do it. And, and if you didn't know, women of color are in demand in the workplace. And so, um, you know, go after your goals. Uh, the one thing that I found is that I've never been disappointed when I bet it on myself. Mm. Yeah, that is, that's awesome. And so women of color are in demand in the workplace right now, something you've just said. And, and, and so how does that play out? What does that, that mean in, in real terms when it says we're in demand? What should we do? How should we take advantage of this? Yeah, you know, and so that's the thing, right? You can read as many of these articles, you Google it, right? And it says, oh, it's a pipeline, it's a this issue, it's a that issue. But the reality is there's not enough of us in these spaces to ascend. And so um, the one thing I would say is if you're looking for a new role or you're, even if you're looking to um, transition in the same company that you're in, make sure that you're taking the power back. Sometimes we're like, oh, I want this role, but you interview the next role too. You know, what are your bottom lines? What are your basic needs that you're going to need? Because look at any industry right now and they're lacking women of color, black women. And so we are the asset and it's time that, um, that we start acting like the prize, right? Many, many of us, it's easier for some of us than not, but you are the prize. Your skill set is needed. Your voice is needed. And so, um, you know, don't be afraid to go out and get it and don't question um, if you meet all the criteria or not, it's how you learn how to tell your career story. And so, um, I'm excited for you. And, um, you know, the stats say that women of color are going to be the majority, um, of the workforce. And I want to ask you this question, what roles will we have? And it, it's dependent upon the work that we do now that will determine the work, the, the roles that we have and the titles that we have later. Yeah, I think this is such a full circle moment in our conversation because we started talking about needing to be prepared um, and, and, and doing all these things before we get the seat at the table. And now we're at the place where it's like, well, look into the future of work, what roles will be available, et cetera. And I think this all goes together because, yes, there needs to be some systemic changes in the work that I do with diversity and inclusion, et cetera. I know that there are, though, some work. There is some work that we should need to do as well in building our skills, because when it comes to us being in demand, when it comes to us taking advantage of these careers um, and opportunities that are there, we need to also, as much as 
you know, we need to the softer skills, be confident, et cetera. We need to have the, the skills to do the work. And so I think for anyone listening, this is this just underlines the importance of setting yourself up and being prepared, having those informational interviews, getting that mentor, understanding how to navigate the job search process, getting someone to mentor you and help you and show you how to get yourself up into the like I just cannot <laughs> emphasize that enough. This is not something that you should be trying to fight your way through alone, but really getting the support that you need in this process of moving up the ladder. Would you agree, Minda? Oh, absolutely. And you know, I'm a big proponent of of coaching and you're the star. Every star has a coach, right? You know, so there's no way, you know, sometimes I think we get to a certain level and we think we don't need help, but success is not a solo sport. Investing is not just taking the, the improv class or the public speaking, but investing is taking the course, getting getting a career coach, you know, an executive coach. Um, and if you want a different type of playing field, you got to do some things differently too. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. What's the, the best piece of career advice you've ever received? Because you've carved out this career for yourself. You're doing amazing things. You're helping to bring other women along. And I'm sure since you've just even mentioned that this idea of coaching, mentorship, et cetera, is a part of the process, that there have been people who've poured into you. What's that one piece of advice that really was a game changer for you? Yeah. Um, I'm so thankful to all those people who have, I, um, the best piece of advice I've been given is don't be ambivalent about your career. And I Mm. think, um, and and we've talked about it today. It's like, you know, it's easy to get, become complacent or expect someone to come tap us on the shoulder and say, Oh, it's your turn. Um, but really we got to take it by the reins and, you know, the things that we say we want, do we really want it? Right. And what, what will you do to get it within reason? Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, to, to get there. And so once I realized, you know, I can't be ambivalent about my seat or getting there um, and it's going to require some activation on my part. Awesome. So Minda, thank you so much for taking the time. How can people find you, find out more about you and your book? Yes. Well, thank you, Dorian, for having me and thank you for your work. We're all hands on deck. Um, you know, you could, I'm most active on Twitter at Minda Hearts, but you can go to MindaHearts.com and all of my information is there and you can buy the memo uh, wherever you like to buy your books. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. This is really how we spread the message and let people know about what we're doing here over at Deeper Than Work. And if you want to share with me on social Tag me at your career girl. Let me see those photos of you listening to the podcast. Tell me what was your biggest takeaway. I can't wait to connect with you.